Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, Outkick 360 is back. Friday edition is here alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Kuharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton live from the 6th and Peabody Studios with Old Smoky Moonshine and Yeehaw Beer. Glad you're with us in what is the final time going live at 11 a.m. Central, noon Eastern across the Outkick Network. Starting on Monday, we'll be live in the afternoons at 3 Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, going for three hours for the end of your workday and on your drive home. Some big announcements there, plus some big announcements for uh, the, the, to begin the show going into the weekend where we're less than a week away, Chad, from hitting Knoxville and beginning the Outkick and Fox college football bus tour. Hutton, what a time to be alive. It's our last show as a midday show, and next week we start going from 2 to 5 Central, 3 to 6 Eastern. And next week, a big week for the show, we'll be heading to Knoxville for Thursday night, Tennessee versus Bowling Green. Big pregame show, big after party at Uptown Bar and Grill. Uh, we'll be in Knoxville on Friday as well. Looking forward to that. But, um, yeah, big day for the show. And we're going to continue to hammer home like we have the last couple of weeks that we will be moving times on Monday and excited about that change. Paul, how are you? Exciting times. I'm well. I was thinking this morning as I was driving in about uh, at our old show when we moved from an initial noon start time to 11 and David Reed put together this lovely uh, collage, if you will, of good morning songs. Um, and we had a podcaster that we loved who started his show with good morning. And we really uh, <laughs> went with that hard. Favorite podcast. Podcaster. podcaster is a stretch. Yeah. Favorite, favorite podcaster. A guy who released. A podcaster uh, that we love. Released, is a great way to put it. Released a recording of him speaking. <laughs> is that better? I would call it an intern who was pretending to host a podcast. Okay, that's 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 fair. That's completely fair. So anyway, all of that good morning. I mean, technically, stuff. it was a podcast. Uh, you know, I think you don't have to have listeners for it to be a podcast, right? Well, I don't okay, know that he was a professional podcaster. I don't think anyone was paying him to do this. I mean, most podcasters are amateur. It was an amateur podcast. Yeah, uh, most are. I mean, 95% of podcasts are amateur, maybe 98%. This is not to besmirch the amateur podcaster out there because clearly he was doing work that we felt warranted (laughs) our show's quality that we put it in there. At least for the first six seconds of the podcast, we thought it was was worthy of review and uh, repetition. It's a great welcome. Yes. So at any rate, this is our last time saying good morning to you unless we have emergency. Live from the 6th and Peabody Studios, you can swing by. Uh, things cranking up here. They've just opened here in Music City. And if you're coming to Nashville for any reason, definitely swing by 6th and Peabody. Check out Yeehaw Beer. Old Smoky Moonshine, it's right behind the Music City Center at the corner of 6th and Peabody. Lance Lee's making the show happen for us. Ellie Sylvia, our production assistant today. Becca Risley, Sleepy Danny. And David Reed is the chairman of the board. Guys, Jameis Winston. He is named the starter, and it's the, 
I'm not surprised by this. I don't think we are. Taysom Hill makes more sense coming off the bench as a wrinkle to Sean Payton's offense than it would if Taysom Hill is named the starter and Jameis Winston were coming off the bench. He wouldn't be. He would just be the backup quarterback. Uh, This gives Payton the advantage of using both. Uh, And beyond that, um, it has paid off for Jameis Winston. Last year, signing the one-year contract to be the third string behind Taysom Hill and Drew Brees. He now wins this job outright uh, after his strong performance uh, where he had players coming up to him in the locker room congratulating him uh, after, the, after the game this past weekend, last weekend against Jacksonville. Um, and you can say whatever you want about Jameis and his play in Tampa and, and the road that he's been on. This was sound advice that he received to go and sign a one-year deal two years ago with New Orleans and to work under Sean Payton. It is paid off now with him getting another opportunity at being a starting quarterback in week one. Sean Payton's clearly a, a very good guy for him to be with at this stage of his career. I still suspect that the Jameis Winston that we know is going to creep out and make appearances. The guy is turnover prone. And, that, and that's why I think people aren't looking at the Saints as, you know, uh, anything close to what the Saints were with Drew Brees under center taking shotgun snaps. Uh, Jameis Winston's going to make some mistakes at crucial times, even if Sean Payton gets the very best version of Jameis Winston. Um, so what's, what's the scale for Jameis Winston in terms of how much better Sean Payton makes him? He's going to come off the field for some crucial snaps for Taysom Hill to, to do the trickery and the gadgetry, which makes them an interesting offense to watch. But I, I remain a non-Jameis Winston believer, even if we're seeing a better version of Jameis Winston. But like you said, it's not surprising that the pecking order goes this direction. There's a lot of Jameis Winston hate out there today. There's a lot of people reposting the hilarious videos of his awkward workouts uh, today that I've, I've seen everywhere, and I understand a lot of that. But let me give you a name, and that name is Ryan Tannehill. People thought Ryan Tannehill was done when the Titans traded for him, thought that didn't work out as a first-round pick in Miami, thought that he could not salvage his career at best. He was going to be competition for Marcus Mariota, never really revive his career, maybe be an okay starter in the league, a good backup. I see a lot of similarities with Jameis Winston and being in a bad situation as the first overall pick in Tampa. Now, do I think he's Ryan Tannehill? Do I think he's going to turn out to be Ryan Tannehill? Not right now. Not from what I've seen with Jameis Winston because he's a bad decision maker many times in games, and that's what's going to hurt him. But when you think of the fortune that he's fallen upon here to now go to that organization with that quarterback coach and Sean Payton and what he's done with quarterbacks – It's a good spot for Jameis Winston. Is it the best spot for the Saints? I don't know. But if you're looking for hope with Jameis Winston turning this thing around and turning it around to maybe an extent that no one's predicting, I point to the name Ryan Tannehill. Well, here's here's where the comparison with Ryan Tannehill is warranted. It's the ability to sign with an organization and be a backup. He didn't try to sign with a place where he's competing for a starting job and a one-year contract like for instance, Teddy Bridgewater. He, he went and, and did this, not just as the backup, he knew he was signing as the third string guy where he's inactive for a year. And he was within Sean Payton's offense for a full year, and now he gets an opportunity to prove it, and he did. He won the job outright. Uh, th- that's where the comparison with Tannehill. Tannehill signed with Tennessee, and it, he was traded for, but it was agreed upon 
with a restructure of the contract and everything that was coming with it, Miami was paying a certain percentage. The Titans paid a, 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 a smaller. smaller percentage. Uh, but Tannehill knew he was the backup to, to Marcus Mariota when he signed here, and he acted as the backup when he arrived in Nashville. Jameis Winston did the same, and there's not many quarterbacks who are number one overall that go about that path the same way that Tannehill did. Winston, I, I commend him on that. It has worked out in his favor to this point because I think he's set himself up for success. He may not have it. He may not find it based on his own play, but it's now up to him to stick with that gig. Whereas if he signs with the Jets or the Panthers or wherever else it may have been, it, it probably doesn't follow the same path. Still, there's something about him. He doesn't click all the way. Like he misused the word condom when he was looking for a word that was nothing like condom when he was talking. The eating the W's, the leadership thing, I wonder about with him, his ability to get guys to go with him. I know Sean Payton offsets that a little bit. I agree with you, the parallel about sitting out with Tannehill. But to me, the bigger parallel in the division is Sam Darnold coming to Carolina because he's getting out from Adam Gase, getting out from under Adam Gase, and uh, has a skill set, was operating under a, the same bad coach, and now is liberated under presumably better coaching and has a chance to do that. So it'll be interesting to kind of compare and contrast Winston and Darnold, Winston having kind of taken the year off, so to speak, and, uh, and with a, a, a proven good coach, and Darnold out from under Gase, um, freed under presumably better coaching in Carolina. Interesting storylines, both in that division with quarterbacks in completely new scenarios. And it's interesting, Tannehill's name now comes up with every veteran quarterback who is looking for a reclamation, uh, you know, is brought on as a reclamation project in the second thing. Hey, can this guy be Ryan Tannehill? Tannehill's become the patron saint of that process. It's a great compliment to Tannehill. I'd also say this. I think there's a difference between being goofy and silly, and that's how Jameis Winston comes across to me. And I agree with you, Paul. That doesn't strike me as a quarterback one leader of your franchise at times, the way he comes across in interviews. But teammates love him. I mean, I even saw that on Hard Knocks in, in Tampa. He, it's not a problem with players following him and playing for him. I, I think most teammates out there love the guy. I mean, I think Ryan Tannehill's boring. I think Ryan Tannehill is, is dried white toast when you, you hear the guy in an interview. But his teammates love him. He's a tough guy. He's a good leader. Maybe quiet, but, but they like him for that reason. I think Jameis Winston is a tough guy. Um, he's someone that players gravitate towards, even if we in the media might find it silly and most fans find some of the things, the eating W's, like you said, silly. I think his teammates like him. Well, I'm a believer first and foremost, and we've had this debate for a couple of years, leadership by production. So if he's throwing touchdowns, he's going to be a better leader. If he's throwing picks, uh, you know, it's, it's a little bit less hard to, to get on, on, the, on the wagon. Uh, Vince Young won 30 games as a starter. Was he a great leader? No. No. I mean, he produced W's. You know what um, else, though? About yeah, Marcus and, and Mariota had people following I'll him. I'll say and this, he too. Wasn't Vince Young player. is a good example, Hutton, because his teammates liked him. Go, go talk to guys who played with Vince Young. I mean, a lot of those guys loved Vince Young. It wasn't an issue of him being unlikable. 
or not wanting to follow him when he was the quarterback. He had obvious leadership deficiencies and work ethic deficiencies that led to his ouster from both Nashville and the league eventually, but it wasn't because people didn't want to follow him or play with him. I think some of the same goes with Jameis Winston. Well, I think you're striking on something important there. Guys by nature want to follow the quarterback. He's got to give them reasons not to. Uh, he, it, you don't necessarily have to give them reasons to. You have to give them reasons not to. As I long as you're not a complete jerk, diva, whatever, they, they want to be on board with you. They want to be led by you. They want to want to go. I think Aaron Rodgers is the complete opposite end of this where he is a different personality, an eccentric guy who probably doesn't have a lot in common with 98% of the players he's playing with in that locker room, but those players do not care because he is, they're going to be a success with Aaron Rodgers. They follow for that reason. And Production, he's got a huddled success. personality. I think he's got a huddled personality that's different than his, you know, the personality we see in other places, right? In the, in the huddle, he's, he's, he's a football guy with them. A couple of other quarterback notes just to pay attention to this weekend. Um, everyone's kind of pointing to jobs being settled across the league. The one I have not officially heard is in Indianapolis because they have uh, Jacob Eason, who's starting this game, and I, I believe they play tonight. The Colts play tonight. He's starting this game, but Ellinger is going to get a lot of snaps as well as they continue to balance that battle for whoever's going to start the season if Wentz is officially ruled out with two weeks to play to the regular season. The anticipation is we're going to see Eason, uh, but that, I, I still have not seen anything official there. Um, the loser of that is obviously on the practice squad and very handy. Yeah. And they could even right. keep three at the beginning for fear of a Wentz setback. Also, um, the backup quarterback job in Pittsburgh is – appears to be wide open where Dwayne Haskins could end up getting that gig uh, to back up Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, intriguing to watch there. College That's a nice story. He's played a lot better after washing out in, in Washington. College football returns this weekend. Um, I'll save the, the 360 parlay picks for Chad, it's which big. it will include a lot of college football. Uh, but the biggest game uh, kicks off tomorrow uh, with Nebraska and Illinois. A conference matchup as uh, we get things underway across college And a football. big one in the Winthrow house. I thought you were going to plug uh, my daughter's softball game that also is, starts at 11 a.m. right up against Nebraska. <laughs> Ooh, conflict. <clears throat> big time conflict in our house. So uh, my wife will be recording it. We'll be going dark on the game. Oh. We'll get back. We'll start late. We'll fast forward through I it. I won't text you. But yeah, I mean, it, this is, um, I won't say this is it. This isn't the weekend for college football, but it's it in that it's college football, and I'm excited about that. Weekend zero. I will I'm be watching as much as possible. I don't understand the week zero. Not, not the name of it, but why teams elect to kick off this coming weekend instead of waiting So the there's week. only two games that make sense that why they're doing this, Hutton, to your question, because I don't get it either. Nebraska was supposed to play Northwestern in Dublin, Ireland. So they had a game scheduled this week. So the Big Ten, okay. when they moved that game, just moved Illinois into that slot and switched some things around. So they already had a game scheduled. But it's in Champaign, Illinois. So instead of going to Dublin, yeah. Ireland to play Northwestern, Nebraska in the Big Ten to open the season is going to go to Champaign, Illinois and play Illinois. Weird. The other one is Hawaii always starts early because of their travel. 
So Hawaii, because they travel so many miles to play, I think they play seven away games this year. Their first away games in Los Angeles and Westwood to take on UCLA. So I think Hawaii is typically an early starter, regardless. We just happen to get them against UCLA, a Pac-12 team, which is great for the first weekend. But I mean, those are, those are the two games this weekend. And that there are a handful paying of some others, attention but to. yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm going to give you a game to pay attention to, Hutton, for financial reasons. Good. Also, but um, I, I don't. I don't think the rest of the country's up in a lather over the Battle of I-10 which I doubt anyone that's watching right now even knows what that is, but I'll explain what that is a little bit later. You're not going to be paying attention to Alcorn State and the Braves this weekend? Oh, the Alcorn State Braves yes. or Alcorn State and the Braves? No, I'm, I'm not going to be paying <laughs> Either way. I'll be paying out. attention to the Braves. The Braves have a big weekend series against the Giants, but I'm not going to be paying attention to Steve McNair's Alcorn State Braves, no. <laughs> that's, uh, that's I will be watching Nebraska, though. You're right about that. I'll yeah. be watching oh, Nebraska. I will, I will be, too. Uh, I'll be coming morning. in sweaty from pitching to five- and six-year-old girls and – Slow-pitch softball, t-ball, and I'll be ready to go. I'll be checking Better in on that right after Chelsea and Liverpool. Are there right. you go. Um, big 12, they are discussing adding a, a big college name to the conference. We, we'll discuss who that is and if it makes sense. Plus, COVID protocols across the NFL uh, in, on full display right now, especially right here in Music City with the Tennessee Titans. We will discuss... Uh, what, what we've witnessed this week, where we're headed with all of it, and the protocols in place for what the NFL and the NFLPA are discussing. Uh, plus, coming up in about 45 minutes, we will dive into to, to Vols and Bowling Green Game Week. We are officially in Game Week for the Tennessee Volunteers as they kick off next Thursday evening on Rocky Top. That's all straight ahead here on Outkick 360 Live from 6th and Peabody. First, though, Aurora Nutriscience. You see the easy-to-grab packs and the uh, everything you can order right there on your screen at vitallifescience.com. This is where you can see more information about how Aurora delivers your supplements where you need them most, your body. Our OutKick 360 season ticket holders receive a 15% discount with the code OutKick360. Typical pills and capsules not well absorbed. In fact, most are only absorbed in small, very small amounts. But here's Aurora, unique cutting-edge nutritional and absorbable supplements encapsulated in liposomes that ensure greater absorption to the body's bloodstream. I personally use the vitamin C, the vitamin D3, glutathione, simple single-use packets I can grab and go in the mornings. And Aurora supplements will also help you if you're a weekend warrior, if you take medication for high cholesterol, and much more with the endless benefits of their supplements. Aurora supplements absorbed in the bloodstream through the GI tract, ensuring it's not wasted like a pill or capsule. Visit the website you see on your screen, vitalifescience.com, V-I-D-A, vitalifescience.com for more information. 15% off with the code OUTKICK360, 15% off with the code OUTKICK360 at vitalifescience.com. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick network. Crew is all here today from the 6th and Peabody studios alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Yeehaw beer, cold on tap. You've got the old smoky moonshine tastings going on here at the location as well. Uh, come join us downtown right in the heart of Music City. What, there's an energy in here today. I don't know if you guys well, feel the weekend's it. Here. It's the weekend. It's right, right outside of our glass door right here we see people swarming around there's adam warren right there we're waving at him everyone's out and about today everyone's around at old smoky yeehaw come down say hello 
Maybe we'll even hang out for a few minutes after the show. What can the Big 12 do from the outside looking in of the alliance? And, and we're going to see how, how tight this alliance is from the jump, because I believe that the commissioners and presidents are meeting soon, maybe as early as next week, about the expansion for the college football playoff. And the Pac-12 could really benefit from going to 12 teams or more in, in the college football playoff. Are the other conferences going to be on board with expansion of, of that number from the jump? Are we going to see an 18 playoff first? Are they going to go to 12 or 14 or 16 like it's been discussed? We'll, we'll find out there, and that, that's worthy of further discussion. But from the Big 12's stance, what, what can they do from the outside looking in to ensure that they don't just fold and go under? Because, you know, the, the hashtag Big 12 is dead, that, that's been trending now for a couple of weeks. How do they keep that from happening? Does BYU really make sense? And I, let's ask a third question here. Why does the Big 12 make sense for BYU? A lot of people are saying, does, does BYU make sense for the Big 12? Reverse the question, and why do the Cougars consider the Big 12 if, in fact, the Big 12 is dead? So it's not reported because of BYU status as a religious institution. They don't have to report it. But it is thought that it's between 6 and $8 million that BYU receives from ESPN in a television deal that their school alone receives. As of 2019, they received $77 million in sports revenue, BYU did, as an independent school. So there would be some more money at stake possibly in the Big 12. Not a lot, though, based on what they're doing now. Really, the answer, Hutton, to that on, from BYU's perspective would be a better chance at winning a national title. I mean, if their aspirations, it's a program that's won a national title before. And if they want to do it again, they're not going to do it as an independent in their current setup. They could reach a playoff as even, uh, the, you know, the, first off, BYU in the current Big 12 without Texas and Oklahoma when they leave, top that's team? a team that could win a the Big 12. Team. I mean, they're, they're right there yeah, with but some what, of the better programs does, that are in I, the Big 12. I, I'm trying to – I mean, I, I get what you're saying, and it's better competition. But if the alliance is firm – in the scheduling aspects of things. Other than the SEC, who are you adding in to help your case let me uh, give you, if you're winning the Big 12? Let me give you a practical business consumership answer to that question. In 2011, 2012, the last batch of, of realignment that we had, everyone was talking about markets. It was all about television market, local market. Missouri made sense because you get St. Louis and Kansas City. Texas A&M makes sense in the SEC because you get Texas. Rutgers makes sense the Big Ten because you get New York City. Maryland makes sense Which because you get Baltimore and D.C. That was what everyone's talking about. It's less about markets in today's television market and more about just sheer eyeballs and what you're going to get from that, that program. So it makes no sense for the Big 12 to add anyone that's not at least on par with the best of your remaining programs in terms of eyeballs. Now let's look at BYU. BYU, when they're on ESPN or ABC or Fox, Big Fox, if you look at the data, and the, the Athletic did a good job of sifting through all of this, so I'm, I'm sourcing them on this. BYU was pretty much the same as the median of the Big 12 
minus Texas, Oklahoma. Texas, Oklahoma, many more eyeballs for those games on national TV than everyone else. But if it's an Iowa State, Oklahoma State game on ABC or Big ESPN, they're drawing about the same amount of eyeballs as a BYU game would on Big ESPN or on ABC. That's a good thing for BYU. Now, on the secondary station, so this would be FS1, FS2, ESPN2, ESPNU, other networks, BYU does better than the rest of the Big 12. They're averaging about 680,000 viewers per game where the rest of the Big 12 on those secondary networks are averaging around 430,000 Is that a style of, play, see, style of play combined with Mormons everywhere watching? That is a – BYU is a national brand because of the – Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But, and also because, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a compelling program. I, I pointed this out earlier this week. I pulled, I had, Jacob was scrolling through the television ratings from 2020. And you can go back on this site and look at all these different years and compare. Now, Texas and Oklahoma drive ratings. Like, it, it would benefit BYU to join the Big 12 with a Texas and Oklahoma because you're going to grow your national audience even more. If you're on par with Oklahoma State nationally, that's only benefiting the Big 12. That doesn't benefit BYU. Yeah. And if they're outpacing other teams in the Big 12, BYU can get that number anyway. I don't, I don't understand why it makes sense to pair up with a conference that is not going to raise the tide of, of ratings with and you. That You're benefiting the conference. What's the conference giving you? aside from a, a, a schedule every year. And can conceivably schedule with anybody where they are now, right? Sure. And I, I the think alliance there, there might are, not. There are benefits for BYU joining a conference. The, I'm, not, I'm not arguing the that. The SEC could schedule with them I, now. I just don't, uh, from a Big 12 perspective, without Texas and Oklahoma, I don't know why any school would be wanting to jump into that. I agree. Here's my other question. Well, it's, it's if less- you play the long game, could the Pac-12 not ultimately look to grow and change its standards, quote-unquote, its, its qualifications for what it wants? And wouldn't BYU be a prime candidate for them? And isn't that a far better place to land? I, yes, right now. But I don't know that the Pac-12 in the long run is going to be that much better off than the Big 12. Honestly, other than that they're in that three-conference oh, alliance. Um, I mean, they've got a better commissioner now than what they had, that's for sure, in, in the Pac-12. But this alliance doesn't really mean much other than, you know, we've got an eye on the SEC. That's kind of what they're saying. We're, we're going to protect ourselves against the SEC being the power is sort of the statement from the alliance. Um, to answer your question, though, Hutton, about what does it make sense, it's less work for you. I mean, getting into a conference, it's, it's, it's income that's deferred every year. You're going to get a check from someone where they're not getting a check right now. Other than television deals, they're having to negotiate on their own. They're having to make their own schedules every year. There's nothing that's done for them. There is a big benefit if you're an athletic department to be in a conference, especially what now is still a Power 5 conference, albeit hanging on by a very thin thread to a Power 5 conference. But there is a, a benefit to that. So... But 50 to 75% of their total revenue for that annual check just left. And one school leaves, or it's got probably going to operate in even numbers, right? But isn't everybody good left in, in the Big 12 making a contingency plan, trying to make sure, hey, if somebody leaves, it's going to, and this thing collapses once somebody else leaves, right? It's going to be me. And do you want to be joining that? Well, or, odds are, or, or you join together, like Chad's saying, you pair you, up. You, you pair up, and you bring teams in. You bring a Cincinnati and a BYU into your league. 
And there's and, assurance and, that even if two left, you'd be at eight and yeah. you'd be okay. Well, let's say they're getting six to eight million right now. They're still going to make more, even if you take 50 to 70% away from the Big 12 in television revenue. And you're not doing a thing. And I don't know how many years are left on their current contract. They could be looking at it saying, we got, guys, we've got a year left. Let's jump on board right now and get some of that Big 12 money at some well, point. That, that's, that's the reason that you go. I'm not saying it's a slam dunk that, oh, you absolutely join the Big 12 if, if you're BYU. But I do think there are a lot of benefits to joining a conference. And it's not just football. I mean, these are football decisions. But there are benefits of, you know, getting out of the West Coast or the, I think they're in the West Coast Conference maybe in every other sport. Uh, whatever, whatever conference they're in, or the WAC, I, I forget now, but whatever conference they're in, if you join the Big 12, that is a step up. And BYU's got a good basketball program. Mm-hmm. It's not like they're going to be hurting in the Big 12. They'll be a top half of the Big 12 basketball team also. But if you're looking at, you know, people are speculating about what West, should the Big West 12 Coast do. West Coast Conference. Thank you, West Coast Conference, so the WCC. Um, what should the Big 12 do? Who should they go after? What programs make the most sense? If you look at it just based on secondary television stations like ESPN2, FS1, not the networks, not big ESPN, and eyeballs drawn in, in order, it would be BYU, Houston, Cincinnati, UCF. Just sheer eyeballs over a four-year period, if you can look at that data and say, who's bringing in the most television viewers, it's in that order. So it's probably BYU followed by Houston. I know there's a weird feeling about the Furtada family and the situation at Houston for the last time that Houston tried to join the Big 12. And the Big 12 is angry at Houston for that reason, and they don't want to join them. I think you might have to put feelings aside at some point. And if you're going to add two teams to replace them, I think more and more the two that make the most sense would be BYU going out west and then staying in the state of Texas and bringing on Houston. I know that the geography and the cultural fit and all of that stuff is really out the window. But BYU still feels weird there. Houston feels perfectly normal, right? Geographically, city, Houston's a massive market. That would be great for them. See, I don't think BYU is any more weird than West Virginia in the Big 12. I think that's far less weird. I mean, you've already got TCU, you've got Baylor, you've got uh, uh, Christian-based, religious-based institutions in the conference. I I don't, again, of the possible, Texas and Oklahoma is more weird to me based on their history in the Big 8 Southwest Conference in the SEC now. That's strange. I don't think BYU, a current independent in the Big 12, is all that weird. I think I can't let go of the geography. i got snowy mountains in a prairie Prairie-ish conference. Again, I mean? West Virginia is in the Big 12. Yeah, I, know. I mean, I know. think about where they're located in the country. That, uh, that, again, makes more sense to me when you're looking at, you know, Iowa State, Kansas, Kansas, Kansas State. You're going out west to Utah, but I don't know. It's not, it's not that big of a stretch to me. What's uh, the timetable on this, we think? Well, the Big 12 needs to do it soon. I mean, they, they, they need to get they teams They need to add before board. somebody leaves. I, see, I think there's be, there are benefits for BYU sitting back and being a team that's available Power. instead of jumping in. Yeah, well, being there, the there most attractive teams candidate. That, you know, Cincinnati's ready to go to the Big 12 yesterday. Um, you know, the, and they, they've made that known. I, I think there's benefits for BYU as an independent already making a boatload of money, as Chad just pointed out. We don't really officially know how much they're making. Uh, in revenue on television. It's an estimate, but we have a good sense. And it's a lot. 
they could make more, but I think you stand a reason. Uh, I would roll the dice and say, let's be the let, let's be the the team, let's be the university and the program that's available whenever teams and conferences uh, are voting, ready to expand. Instead of forming alliances, let's be available for whenever the the SEC moves to. 24 teams or 30 teams yeah. or you see the Big Ten and the SEC form a, a true power conference a super conference and everyone else is left in the dust with TV revenue I again I I don't think that the the Big Ten forming an alliance with the ACC and the Pac-12 there are immediately Chad whenever the SEC expansion was announced what names popped up for the Big Ten it wasn't you know, it wasn't the independents. It was USC. You know, it's the it's the major teams that you're thinking super conference wise. If I'm BYU, I'm I'm at, I'm not jumping to the Big Twelve. I'm trying to get into the super conference whenever that is. Yeah, and I'm going to make my money regardless you're, while I sit and wait. In the dangling carrot. In the and you could do a trial run. I mean, they don't have to lock it in for 10, 15 years. What if they said, Hey, Texas, Oklahoma, we know they're leaving next year. They're not going to wait it out. We'll go in the interim. You know, we'll we'll do a football only partnership. You know, maybe it's not even doing that. Maybe we'll do what Notre Dame did last year. Maybe that's it. In the COVID year with the ACC, where we do a football only partnership. One other thing to keep in mind about this that no one's going to think about because we're all in on football right now, and and I understand why. BYU can't play on Sundays, so that's a problem that the West Coast Conference has to work around. It's not a problem in college football. But in every other sport, it's a problem. Example, what if BYU wins every day and makes it to the Big 12 championship game in basketball? The game's played on a Sunday. They forfeit? Is the automatic bid from the conference going to the other team? Because they're not going to play on Sunday because of their religious affiliation. That's one thing to look at. And in the age of alliances, why aren't schools aligning? Everything's going to be done in pairs. It's either going to be two or four. There's going to be even number additions to all these places. Texas and Oklahoma did it, and they're enemies, and they Well, to Hutton's point about why not wait and see what's going to happen, if I'm BYU, I'm on the phone with the Big 12. I'm also on the phone with the Pac-12, like you said, Paul. And I'm on the horn with Boise State. And Houston, maybe. I I mean, I think if you want to go geographically, I think BYU-Boise State, and you look at Boise State's television numbers, they're not as good as BYU on those networks, but I think they're better than, let's say, UCF mm-hmm. in the same time. And I'll, keep in mind, most of these games are at 9 and 10 o'clock at night, and they're pulling better numbers than UCF and even Cincinnati in some regards. So I'm talking to Boise State, if I'm BYU, let's pair up. Let's, let's, let's negotiate together with these conferences. Let's have a, a, a two-team addition. Makes a lot of sense for the Pac-12. I think it would be a no-brainer for the Big 12, based on where they are right now for those two teams. Cincinnati-Houston. Cincinnati, UCF, UCF, Houston, those three together. Let's go get someone else involved also and make it a foursome. I think that's the next alliance layer to this. If we're going to be conferences aligning, the the SEC is their own alliance. I joke that it's the alliance. It's in all caps. You write it in all caps, you say it in all caps. But it really is the SEC. (laughs) That's it. They need no alliances. They can make enemies with everyone and be just fine because – even the people who are the most staunch SEC critics out there acknowledge if the Big Ten or Pac-12 or Big 12, if they were approached by we'll – take the Big 12 out. If another conference was approached by Texas and Oklahoma, they're doing the same thing Greg Sankey Absolutely. did. They're accepting them, and everyone knows that. And I think the new Pac-12 commissioner who came over from uh, the sports book in Vegas – MGM. Yeah, I think he said exactly that. He said, we would have done the exact same thing. 
we would have gladly welcomed them in just like Greg Sankey did. If you were the Big 12, just throwing out a, another scenario of, of getting on the phone, in the scheduling aspect of things, are you calling the SEC, trying to jump in and get a piece of the SEC scheduling pie before they jump all in and an all-SEC schedule? If you're, if, if you're the Big 12. Because yes. if, if the SEC went to an all-conference schedule, hypothetically, Big 12 is really on the outside looking in. I don't think the Meanwhile, SEC... Meanwhile, they could do it out of conference agreement where you could play each other. Uh, you could build ratings. That gets the Big 12 eyeballs because, again, the SEC's on television. You could still pair yourself with Texas and Oklahoma somewhat, Oklahoma State, that, that kind of thing, um, and, and still get a piece of the, the monetary value there. Yeah, I, I think you absolutely do that. I also don't think the SEC is in a big rush to get to that conference-only schedule in football, so they're going to need some willing partners out there to play games. And that's not going to be hard to find because you're still going to have the, – the MAC will still exist, right? You can go to the MAC and pay. The Conference USA right now will still exist, so those schools are looking for a payday to fill out a schedule. But in regards to actual compelling matchups, there is an SEC Big 12 basketball challenge for a reason. Those games rate highly for mid-late January when Tennessee plays Kansas in the middle of a conference season that you don't normally get that matchup, as an example. Or when Kentucky plays Oklahoma. Those games rate well. So if you can do an SEC Big 12 challenge in basketball, I do think that some sort of SEC versus X football challenge makes sense. Where pick the second weekend of the year. Now, they got to get more teams. Right now it's eight versus about to be 16 mm -hmm. between the two conferences. But that would be kind of fun if you just knew, hey, this is SEC Big 12 week, and those conferences get together and decide what the matchups are and where they're going to be played, and you know that second week of the season every year is going to be SEC versus Big 12. Yeah, well, you need two conferences to compete against at that, at that rate. Yeah, you'd have to do the disparity. SEC versus Big 12 slash Mountain West uh, conference challenge, right, at this point to make that happen. That's the problem. Coming up, we will uh, get into uh, some NFL headlines, COVID protocols, Titans and Bears, where we're going to see Justin Fields start and at least play the first half against the Titans on, tomorrow night uh, at Nissan Stadium. At noon Central, 1 p.m. Eastern, it is game week for the Tennessee Volunteers. The Tennessee Power Hour today includes VolQuests with Brent Hubbs and Austin Price. It's all straight ahead on Outkick 360. Time to make it rain. College football returns this weekend. The parlay is to the great Chad Withrow. Time to win some cash tomorrow across uh, some college football landscape. Uh, Nebraska kicks off tomorrow against Illinois. And Chad, that's one of the three games you've selected. Hutton, it's football time. And it's time. It's winning time also, as uh, the Reggie Miller, a great documentary, once said. Winning time. That's what time it is right now. Football time. We're going to show you the parlay. We're going to play all college football games Love on it. this weekend, uh, tomorrow. Nebraska minus 7.5 at laying Illinois. the points. <laughs> it's got to break right at some point for Scott Frost. Double got spread. to break right. It's going to happen this Chad, weekend. Can I, just sure. so you know, last night the spread was 6.5. This morning it was 7.5, and, and you're still confident in 7.5. I'm so confident, Hutton, that I'm willing to bet that my bet on that 7.5 maybe pushed it to 8.5. This, this is a appeal. You know what? He's kissing up it. to his wife. That's, I love it. That's how. No, I, I really do believe uh, Illinois is terrible. <laughs> Nebraska should win this game. Not that Nebraska is all that good, but they should win this game going away. UCLA, Chip Kelly, mm -hmm. uh, shortened season last year, but they did show some improvement. 
This may be a breakout year for him in Westwood. Give, the, give me the 17 and a half. They're going to blow out Hawaii uh, one of seven away games. UTEP at New Mexico State. Difficult one to pick. This, gentlemen, is the battle of I-10 between UTEP and New Mexico State. was not played a year ago. This is a, a rivalry starving to be played again. And I'll be honest, when I saw Start. battle of I-10, I, in my mind, saw it as battle of 1 in 10 because that's what usually these teams go during the season, and it really can play tricks on you when you see that battle of I-10. Who gets the 1? Is this the battle of 1 in 10? Um, UTEP is going to get the 1. They're going to win by double digits. They're minus 9.5 on the road at New Mexico State. Give me the Miners over the Aggies. $5 bet gets you over $30. Let's Let's win win. this one. Let's win this one. I feel good about this one. I feel good. FanDuel.com slash OK360. And look, while we're at it, I should mention you can go to FanDuel.com this weekend. They've got a great promotion for new users. Tyron Woodley uh, is boxing Jake Paul. This is a Sunday night fight. Uh, You bet $5, you win $150. 30 to 1 odds on either Paul or Woodley. This is just a straight bet money line. Uh, the max bonus is 150 bucks, so you only have to bet five dollars to win on the 30 to one odds. Uh, deposit required for first new, first time users ten dollars. You bet half of that, you can win 150. Sign up at FanDuel.com/OK360. FanDuel.com/OK360. The fight again Sunday, seven o'clock Central, eight p.m. Eastern. Offer valid in Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and West. Virginia. Is there a pay-per-view on Saturday night that's preventing them from going on Saturday night? It's an odd night to have a pay-per-view. It's a show. Fight. It's a showtime decision. UFC does not have a pay-per-view this weekend, but they do have a fight night, um, which is on ESPN tomorrow night, and then college football kicking off. I, they, the, Jake Paul fought on Sunday the last time he fought uh, as well, and I think Mayweather and and Logan Paul had a Sunday bout as well. I think it's just a showtime decision more than anything else it's a good question it's odd it's I, I don't know how much this... i immediately think of saturday night for paper but it is a, it is a pay-per-view yeah. right it's a yes, showtime it pay-per-view yes so it would make sense a week from now like a sunday night of labor day weekend is a weekend night yeah. that would make sense to have a pay-per-view then it's know. just it's odd timing that the sunday before labor day sunday they're going to have a pay-per-view fight i'm sure there's a rationale behind it but, but i don't, I don't know if there maybe there was a concert or something in cleveland where they needed the venue uh saturday night when they book this fight, they're, they're fighting in Cleveland. I, I don't know. It's a good question because I think most most sports fans think of pay-per-view bouts uh, or pay-per-view Saturday in night. general as a Saturday night deal, yeah. and they're going with Sunday. Again, that's Sunday night. Uh, you can place your bets all weekend for first-time users. FanDuel.com slash OK360. Paul, we've got uh, Titans and Bears this weekend here in Music City. Uh, COVID protocol has been uh, a big point of discussion all week as Mike Vrabel, uh, you spoke with him yesterday as the local media uh, did on the Zoom chat. Uh, He remains in protocol. There are others with the team, including Ryan Tannehill, who as of right now remain in protocol. Um, All of these players vaccinated can, and, and coaches can test out within a Uh, 48-hour period if they have two straight negative tests in that 48-hour block. So far, we have not seen that happen. No. Uh, I don't know why I'm a bit surprised because uh, you hear minimal symptoms. Um, But if you don't get those two negative tests within 48 hours, you're out after 10 days. After 10 days, you're considered non-contagious. So, Nobody's going to be out longer than 10 days. So Ryan Tannehill's not in any danger long-term for this team. And 
there's a bye week now built in in what would have been week four in the preseason. So anybody that's out right now, the biggest being Tannehill and Harold Landry, um, these guys, even if they continue to test positive, will be fine on a timeline to be practicing for Arizona, the full week for Arizona to get ready for the opener, conditioning and all of that will be, will be fine, as will Mike Vrabel. Final cut down day is when? Tuesday. Next Tuesday? Yes. So believe it or not, here's my theory on the testing out process. Maybe Ryan Tannehill's not going to, wasn't going to play any snaps at all on Saturday, tomorrow. Um, I keep having to remind myself it's Friday and the game's tomorrow. Um, but, and I'm not, I'm not saying this is what the Titans are doing, but there is a way that John Robinson can use this to his benefit. He has players currently that are not counting against his 53-man roster that are on the COVID-19 reserve list. We know Ryan Tannehill and Harold Landry and Jeff Swain are going to be on the main roster. They're currently on the COVID-19 reserve list. If I'm a general manager, any general manager, right now, and I have a player who is currently in a 10-day COVID protocol, I'm going to leave them there past the cutdown day because I can keep an extra receiver for the 53-man roster while all these other teams gobble up and sign and claim released players I can then waive when Tannehill comes back to the active roster. Let's hypothetically say it's Chester Rogers or Nick Westbrook-Akina that it's coming down to at wide receiver. And I think Rogers is on the roster, but go with me here. I just pulled two names. You're going to release one of them in this scenario. You can keep both while all the other teams make their decisions on practice squad and who they're cutting and releasing and who they're claiming and who they're bringing in. You can keep them around where they cannot be claimed. And then you try to sneak them through to a practice squad all, after all the other teams have made their decisions. There's a way to use this to your benefit if you're the Tennessee Titans. And maybe that's why you're, you're not rushing the 48-hour period if you have a couple of players who you know are going to be ready for week one who you're not really wanting to see anyway against Chicago. Why rush it? Use it. You're, you're correct, but I don't think he has any control over using it. I think everybody's tested every day, and if you get two negatives within 48 hours, you're activated. So they can root for the right results like you're talking about, like a slow return for a certain guy would be beneficial for them yes. roster-wise in terms of what you're saying because you're absolutely right. The longer you can defer some of these decisions, the more other teams go about their business and the less likely you are to shuffle things Thursday, Friday, Saturday, next week than you are Tuesday. Um, But they don't have a lot of control. Chester Rogers, by the way, and I mentioned this the other day, Marcus Johnson, too, are vested. So they don't go through waivers, and you could manipulate it this way, which a, a Twitter guy recommended... Nick Lombardi, I think. You could just say to Marcus Johnson or Chester Rogers, hey, I'm going to cut you today to mm-hmm. manipulate the roster, re-sign you tomorrow because I need to keep somebody on the 53 that I'm then going to IR tomorrow to buy myself three weeks. So let's just make a deal here. I'll re-sign you tomorrow. Maybe I'll give you a little extra money on the side or maybe you and your agent are just doing us a favor in, in good faith. But this is a way for me to get you on the roster not on and, the initial 53, but on the 53 a day after the initial 53 where I can IR somebody that I had to keep on the initial 53. Right, but it may also save the Titans money structurally if you don't have to guarantee, if a guy's contract's locked in for the week one roster. 
right. you cut them loose and then re-sign them where they're on a week-to-week basis where nothing's guaranteed as a vested veteran. I mean, it well, would also actually, save them money long-term. That's actually about being on the roster the first Sunday. So if you're on the roster the first game, your vested contract then guarantees for the season. So if you did that with somebody that wasn't on the roster for the Arizona game and then brought him back Goskowski. the Monday after, yeah, then it, that would be cheaper. Yeah, Thicken goes to hell and you bring in Goskowski, you're paying him week to week, and then if he goes to hell, you're not on the hook for the rest of his salary. That Makes a lot of that, sense. That's a savings route. You know, they have every reason to be confident in him now, but like we've said, you know, kickers take nosedives the same way that he's gone on this ascent now that makes them look like uh, you know they should be have no reason not to be confident what battle is really up for grabs tomorrow yeah it's a good question I mean I think outside linebackers settled with Simon and um, and Weaver as as the two guys I think cornerbacks settled I think the wide receiver thing, you know, it's probably settled in their head, but maybe maybe something could and happen there. I think the back end special teams guy, so the Zubnar versus the last wide receiver versus the last safety, what's the health status of Matthias Farley and guys like that? Those are the kind of things that are, are bouncing around. And there may be guys that are battling three. for uh, roster spots, roster spots 54 and 55, and an injury occurs tomorrow night that elevates them into that. battling for the 53rd spot. Correct. I mean, that's, that's also possible. I also the think right now. The back end safeties, Hutton, I think, are, are a question because of all the injuries there. And these guys who have flowed through now have only been around for seven or ten days. I think those guys can distinguish themselves. One of those guys is making the team, Gethers or, or these other guys yeah. whose names we're not even that familiar Final with. Final thought, and then we'll get to VolQuest and the power hour for game week of Tennessee Bowling Green. I think the positive test by Ryan Tannehill has guaranteed that every quarterback is making this roster now. I don't know how you cut loose either one of them with the way Barkley has played and how he's picked up this offense. I wouldn't want to lose him. And we, we know that they, they value all three in different ways here. Of course, Tannehill goes without saying. Um, you disagree with that? I hadn't thought about it much. If you're, I don't know how you go right, into a season with two knowing that this can happen. If you're right... Um, I think there's no way you can keep a seventh receiver, right? I mean, that's a real luxury as it is. And if you're keeping a third quarterback on the 53, then I, I don't see how you can be overstuffed. Knowing how bad receiver. Deshaun Kaiser was at picking up this offense and how quickly Matt Barkley has picked it up, yeah, he's getting, there's true value there that I'm not willing to let go right now. Yeah, or at least you forestall it like you're talking about where – if you're going to make a move, you, you get into the game week where people are already into their game week. And he's starting tomorrow. And, and you you take both. stock into that? He's starting, starting tomorrow, but they're flipping every uh, you know two series at a time the same way they did last game. He's certainly enhanced his value, and I think you raise a, a good point. It's certainly way more possible that they keep three that we'd never considered it before. Chad, Joe Milton's starting for Tennessee, isn't he? They just haven't so. named him. I think so. I don't think they've told any of the players who's starting yet either, but the, based on the reps they're getting in practice, they're telling them that it's Joe Milton. We discussed Joe Milton going into game week for the Tennessee Volunteers as we are less than a week away from kickoff at Neyland between Tennessee and Bowling Green. Brent Hubbs and Austin Price next on OutKick 360. Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to Outkick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day. 
and give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.